0: is not Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast, the official podcast of FilmPulse.net. This is episode number 120. My name is Adam. With me today we have Kevin. How you doing Kevin?
1: I'm doing okay.
0: Doing okay? I'm doing okay too. <laughs> that sounds that sounds fucking great. <laughs> uh, today we'll be uh, getting Film Pulse contributor Ernie Trinidad back on the show for a review of Edge of Tomorrow. Then we'll be reviewing Bobcat Goldthwaite's latest Willow Creek. And finally, we'll be going over this week's movie predictions, new on video on demand, and DVD and Blu-ray releases. First up, let's talk about some what we've been watching. I think I'll kick it off this week. I started the week with some John Carpenter. Okay. So, All right. I am a big, huge John Carpenter fan. Love most of his movies. The newer ones, not so much, but like they live and the thing. I just love them. Love them up. And it shames me to say that I have never seen the other two parts in his apocalypse trilogy. So the apocalypse trilogy is the thing Prince of darkness and in the mouth of madness. Now, As it turns out, I did see In the Mouth of Madness, but I completely forgot about it. It was one of those watches. (laughs) Oh, nice. (laughs) Wait, was it
1: like 20 minutes in? You're like,
0: yeah. oh, I remember this now. It was probably within the first 10 minutes. I was like, oh, wait a minute. I do remember all this. Uh, But I I don't know if I ever finished it. It might have been one of those kind of like late night Netflix watches where I just fell asleep. Yeah. Because I didn't really remember the end. But at any rate, I watched... Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness. Loved both of them. They're both highly recommended and probably two of the best. If I if I was still working on my top one hundred horror movies, they would probably both go on the list. are both. Working on that? Um. Yeah. Kind of.
1: Oh, come yeah. on. I, I think I've only seen one Carpenter. No, two Carpenters. Okay. I've seen two Carpenters.
0: That's it. I want to see. I do want to see in the mouth of madness, though. It's excellent. Out of the two, in the mouth of madness is uh, was my favorite of the two. But I liked Prince of Darkness quite a bit too. That's kind of uh, one of his more underrated movies, okay. I think. But in the mouth of madness, it's sort of like a a mix between a Stephen King story and an H.P. Lovecraft story. There's a okay. very very strong influence of influences of both of those authors in this movie. I mean, like <laughs> when you see it, you're just like, oh my god, it's uh, it's so obvious that this is like King and Lovecraft. And I'm actually a big fan of both King and Lovecraft, which I never really even kind of delved into the whole Lovecraft thing until maybe a year or two ago. and then I yeah. started realizing like I fucking love this guy. like I never read any of the books or anything. You're but a big fan, didn't even know. Yeah, but all of the movies and stuff that have Lovecraftian Ooh. influence uh. I end up loving. So I'm a big fan of that. I also have a, a board game called Mansions of Madness that is uh takes place in the Lovecraft universe, which is a really fun board game. Huh. There's a
1: Lovecraft board game.
0: Uh yeah, there's there's Wait. uh there's several that take place okay. in the what would they in that come universe. Up with next? That's crazy. I'm looking
1: at Prince of Darkness here, and I scroll down to the quotes on IMDb, and the first line just says, Wyndham is being consumed by Beatles. And Mm -hmm. I immediately said, yes, I'm in. Mm -hmm. I just nodded my head in agreement.
0: There's some good effects work in in both movies. There's some shitty effects work in... Mostly in the Mouth of Madness. There's like this um, kind of... There's some digital effects in there that that don't look... They they look aged, but... um, you know, it's uh, the both of them are still really satisfying. I liked in the Mouth of Madness more, like I said, but th- with that one, it's kind of like Sam Neill plays uh, an insurance uh, investigator who kind of looks into cases of fraud and things like that, and he is hired to track down this uh, famous horror writer named Sutter Kane, and he ends up basically finding out that he is. A character in the latest Sutter Kane novel, oh, man. and he realizes that everything that's being written is happening to him in real life. And it's kind of like this just crazy mind fuck of a movie. Super fun. Uh, in the Mouth of Madness is also scarier than Prince of Darkness. There's uh, a lot more jump scares and really, really creepy stuff that happens in In the Mouth yeah. of Madness. And it's Anyone just weirder by- too. Edels? The, in Prince of Darkness, yeah, there is the beetle thing where where, uh, people get possessed by this, like, green uh, liquid. And it kind of uh, makes them, like, pawns of this evil entity that is trapped in this tube. And for some reason, some of them turn into beetle people. Beetle people? Yeah. They're people that are, like, in, their insides are all made of beetles. Oh, and, my a, goodness. and Alice Cooper's in it, and he plays a bum. And he uh, kills people. It's, it's ridiculous. This
1: it sounds insane.
0: Yeah. Both of them are, are pretty amazing. Out of the three, I still like the thing by far the, the most out of all three of them, but they're all really good. And I highly recommend all of them. Like, now, as far as like on the Carpenter scale, okay. I wouldn't say that any of them are going to top. Like they live or Halloween or Big Trouble in Little China or Escape from New York, but they're still they're still up there. Okay. You never saw which was the one carpenter that you saw? I've seen two carpenters. Oh two. I'm sorry. Escape from New York and Big Trouble in Little China. You never saw the original Halloween? Or the thi- you never no. saw the thing? No, I never oh saw the thing. Oh my god. Oh my god. It's Is like it one the of the be- it's one of the best horror movies ever made. Never saw. It. You gotta. Guess, oh my god. I guess. I guess I gotta see that one. You never saw *Memoirs of an Invisible Man* <laughs> with Chevy <laughs> Chase.
1: Nope, I didn't see that one either. I didn't see *Starman* either.
0: I never saw *Starman*. Never I've saw. i intrigued by *Starman* because the cover
1: looks amazing. I
0: saw parts of *Starman*, but I don't think I've seen the whole thing. I saw almost everything of uh, *Carpenter*. Either way, I highly recommend checking out both *In the Mouth of Madness* and *Prince of Darkness*.
1: It seems it's it looks like I got a I got some carpenters that I need to watch.
0: Oh, definitely. He's he's definitely one of my favorite horror directors. I I just love his style. Wait, you never saw *They Live* either?
1: No. Oh my god. Maybe. No. I just I love. <laughs> it's time
0: to kick ass and chew bubble gum, and I'm all out of gum. I just love when I'm like, I didn't watch that. You just go, oh, my God. Well, I just, I'm, more than anything, it's excitement. It's excitement because when you tell me you never saw They Live, I'm so excited for you because you get to experience They Live for the first time. And that's something that I'll never get to experience again. The only thing I know about They Live is the cover, the Cage Mm -hmm. album cover. That's yeah. all I know. It's an amazing movie. It is so <laughs> so amazing. Rowdy Roddy Piper, and there's one of the longest fight scenes you will ever see in a movie in that in that movie.
1: Oh man. But oh, you'll no.
0: you'll see, you'll see in They Live, there's like a ton of things in that movie that have like kind of become ingrained in our culture. Like, you know, like the whole obey thing, like the yeah. Shepherd Fairy, that's from They Live. All the those quotes from like Duke Nukem and stuff they pulled from They Live. Oh, okay. So it's pretty much like I've I have seen it. When you when you see it, you'll be like, oh, okay. So that's where Every, that comes everything
1: from. everything will make sense.
0: Your everything this, in the universe this, this, will make sense when you see They Live. This
1: this synopsis is maybe one of the best synopsis I've ever read in my life. Drifter discovers a pair of sunglasses
0: that. Mm-hmm, him. mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm 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 in there's also another i can't remember what song it is it's a hip-hop song and they they do use a sample from they live where it's like the guys like we all sell out every day might as well join the winning team do you remember that i think it might be from a jedi mind Tricks song or something might be it sounds like something
1: they would be into
0: it's like you want a piece of the good life too i know you want it hell everybody does or something I like, like that. that. I, instead of watching They Live, can we just can I just hear like a radio version where you play all the parts?
2: <laughs> that's, that's actually that's,
0: you know that's actually kind of a funny idea for a, a like a bonus episode of the podcast where where we do a roundtable. You know how how uh, a live a live read. Of yeah, the how script. they do those live reads at Film Independent. We can we I can want, do a live read I and have Ryan ready. be involved.
1: Ryan plays Roddy Piper.
0: Oh my god, we're gonna make that happen. We're gonna do a live read of They Live, and Ryan is gonna be Roddy Piper. The only people interested are me, you, and Ryan. You know what? That's fine. That's fine. (laughs) Fuck it. Doing it anyways. I don't care. All right, what do you got?
1: Oh my goodness. I watched uh, Three Monkeys from 2008. This is. Nori Jalon's uh this is the film he made before Once Upon a Time in Anatolia which probably I think that's the only Jalon movie you've seen. Mhm. Mm-hmm, Correct.
2: Mhm. Mm-hmm.
1: So this is the one he made before that. Sort of follows well the <laughs> Jalon movies are tough to describe because number one there's not really any dialogue to speak of. Uh it's all visual really and it's mostly just about unspoken emotions. So it's very slow. Like I said, there's little to no dialogue at all. And essentially, all it, it examines communication breakdowns between husband and wife, mother and son, father and son. Just all these things that they won't discuss or, you know, won't sort of bring up to one another each other and talk about it openly and honestly. And just how much it affects them and how much it makes them suffer. It's very interesting in the way that to sort of mirror that breakdown of communication, Jaylon actually leaves out bits and pieces of the story itself. Like he throws in this, there's visions where they see the son. They had a young son that must have died somehow because they, you know, you see him as like a ghost, but there's no context. There's no background to why you're seeing this kid ghost. It's sort of haunting their everyday lives. And it's you know, him mirroring that breakdown of communication between the characters and the break he breaks down communication between the audience and the film that he's showing you. And it's just wonderful the way he does everything. And it's and then much like Anatolia and every other movie that he's made, it's unbelievably gorgeous. The cinematography is just amazing. Oh, I mean this guy at- this guy in light is just unbelievable.
0: I'm looking at the uh, on on his, his lineup here, and every cover looks the exact same yeah. to me. <laughs> yep, they do all
1: have you know sort the it's,
0: same color palette. It looks like uh, like a series of books that you would that you would buy like in an airport. <laughs> James Patterson's oozak <laughs> James Patterson's Climates, or or. Probably more appropriately, like Danielle steals three monkeys. <laughs> it's like these are all
1: those are all good movies, by the way. I've seen all of the ones people looking use.
0: longingly down the road.
1: They there is a lot of longing, a lot of looking, peering into one's own soul. Yes, yeah. that type of deal. So it's a little it's a little rough to get through if you're not a fan of this. If you liked Once Upon a Time in Anatolia,
0: then. Oh yeah, check it out.
1: Well, the only... if you couldn't get through that, then no,
0: don't. Well, I-, I liked Once Upon a Time in Anatolia, but I think one of the things that kept me interested in that was the the kind of the murder mystery, you know, the crime aspect of it.
1: This more involves adultery. There yeah, is a crime but... at the beginning where a driver for a politician, the politician runs over. Someone at the very beginning of the movie, he goes to the driver and, you know, has him take the welfare because there's an election coming up. So he serves the jail time and he gets like a nice, you know, full payment once mm-hmm. he gets out.
0: Now, I am interested in his new one, Winter Sleep.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty much interested in
0: anything he does ever, ever. They have it. Three Monkeys. Check it out. Do it. I saw Tim's Vermeer. Which comes out on uh, DVD and Blu-ray this week? I always figured you for a big Vermeer fan. What?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my right?
0: god! You like a huge? You're a huge Vermeer fan, right? Oh my god! No? No. I mean, oh, okay. But it's just such <laughs> a funny. Like, why would I be a huge Vermeer fan? <laughs> oh god! That's I mean, wise. if you if you said like, oh, I think that you would be like. I don't know, uh a, a big Norman Rockwell fan, I'd be like, Yeah, you're right. Like I that really, I can sir, get kind of the, kind <laughs> of the Dutch version. Vermeer, I'm just like, hmm. Honestly, like I only knew of like maybe four or five Vermeer pieces. Like I, I I'm not very uh steeped into the art world like you are. So I don't know a lot about different artists and things. Yeah. I like art and I'm interested in art and artists and what they do, but I'm just not well versed in it. So, uh it was really interesting. That this documentary, so basically this this inventor named uh Tim Jennison sets out to recreate a Vermeer. And for people that that aren't familiar with Vermeer, it was basically the paintings looked photorealistic. They could have been photographs, you know, back then. And there's a lot of speculation as to how Vermeer painted these because it just seems impossible that he would be able to paint things so detailed and so accurately and have it be like a free form thing because they would run x-rays on Vermeer's paintings and find that there were no sketches underneath the paint. So he just did it. He just fucking did it. And
1: so it freestyled that shit.
0: And Tim, what he sets out to do is figure out how Vermeer did this and then do one himself. And it is so fascinating. I mean, I was just glued to the screen the whole time because this is a, this is a perfect film that kind of blends the concepts of technology and art. And those are two things that are like kind of people, people like to separate those two things out. And I I don't know why that is. But I'm a strong believer in both things. Like, I, I love technology and I love art. And I think that it's it's really cool when you bring those two things together. And that's exactly what this guy does. He figures out that through optics, like, a lot of people surmise that Vermeer did these paintings through optics, like, using a um, a camera obscura. But when he tried to do that himself, he found that because of how the light was projected onto the wall that it would be impossible to accurately get the same colors that were in real life. So he figured out that by setting up a mirror, you can reflect the image down like so that it sits right above the canvas. And all you have to do is put the same colors that are on the edge in the mirror. And by doing that, you can essentially recreate anything not just a vermeer but you can do like photographs whatever and you can create them to be like a hundred percent perfect every yeah. time and it's interesting because this guy's not a painter he's not an artist
1: no, you're just essentially copying
0: what you're seeing exactly you just match the you the just match the color, color. Yep. yeah so or so just it's like
1: fill in that spot
0: And after he kind of devised this method, he had other people who were also not artists give it a try and see what the results were. And it was, like, perfect every time. Hmm. So it was really interesting. And then the painstaking process that he went through to create this Vermeer painting, it was incredible. It took him years to do this. And he actually, like, built the room Where the painting took place. So, like, he actually, like, uh, did all... He did all the wood carving. He he did everything himself. And his rules were that he had to use the exact same conditions that Vermeer had. Or else the experiment would be a failure. So, if he used artificial lighting, if he didn't have everything be the exact same, it wouldn't work. So, like, he hand carved all the wood himself to, to match what was in the painting. He used natural light. He ground his own paint. He had to learn how to grind and create paint. Yeah. He had to make all the lenses by hand that he used in the camera obscura. It was crazy. And like he got so detailed with it. At one point he needed a 36 and a half inch uh, leg to a table. But his lathe was only 34 inches long. So, instead of just being like, well, it's not that big of a deal, he cut his lathe in half <laughs> and it, and made it longer so that he could make it be the 36 and a half inches.
1: Ridiculous.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was crazy. Yeah. He he went to Holland and learned, that's where he learned how to grind the paint and that's where Vermeer is from. And yeah. uh, he learned all about Vermeer and the techniques and different things so i mean it even if you're not a huge art lover this is just a, a incredibly fascinating film to watch and i i highly recommend it
1: yeah I'm, I'm, i want to see this
0: oh and, and i probably should mention that it's it's made by Penn and teller so Penn narrates the film and it's extremely well made like you know this is uh kind of a tedious film especially when he starts the, the process of creating this Vermeer and the way that they do it you know with the kind of uh, they use like a time lapse thing but yeah, the way that they do it is really cool because you can actually see it's almost as if the, the, the painting is kind of growing organically the way that they show it it's really cool mm. so yes definitely recommend this one Probably one of my favorite docs of the year, actually.
1: I'm very excited, and I'm not even a Vermeer fan.
0: I mean, what's your, what's your, do you have an opinion on, on that? Because he actually goes once he devises this method, he goes to experts and shows them, and he's like, "What do you think? What do you think?" And it seemed like they wanted to be like, "Fuck yes, that's it! You just changed the game," but they were all like very modest, and they're like, "Well, we don't really know, but it could be."
1: Yeah. I mean, what does I have a ton of questions, so I had to watch it. But does he have, like, really any evidence that this is a technique
0: that Vermeer actually used? Well, there's books that... Th- there's several books that theorize that Vermeer had to use optics of some sort. They... he... Tim is the one that invents this mirror method. Because like, it'd be so, really funny if Vermeer just... It was just someone sitting, and he was just painting them. And it's like, just they're going well, through all there's, this shit. There's Everybody actually like,
1: nah,
0: there's actually uh, a lot of evidence that shows that that's impossible because of how Vermeer paints the light. Um, the way that the light is shown in his paintings, it's more like a photograph, and the specific shades of of light and the way that like the sun comes through the window and stuff. Uh, it would it would be impossible for the human eye to pick up those subtle differences yeah so it, it would well, I
1: don't know I, again this I'm going to have to see it yeah you'll have to then see I'm it i I'm thinking I'm thinking like Louis de who he painted like these extremely realistic dioramas where he would paint like whole cityscapes and they would you know put them up they were enormous and he has sort of the same thing where his light the way that he does light it looks so damn realistic but I'm thinking like well he couldn't have been able to do this whole optics thing but maybe maybe he did too because he was a pioneer of photography
0: yeah and I don't don't want to get into too much of like the the different things that he discovers because that was kind of the interesting thing about this documentary is to see where he goes you know to see the journey that he takes but uh, one thing that he does discover is that originally he thought that Vermeer set up a room like a dark room in yeah. his because they, they find out that many of Vermeer's paintings were all done in the same room. So he f- figured out or he thought that Vermeer must have had a dark room built in this room pointed at this specific north facing wall. And that's how he used the camera obscura. But then Tim figured out a way to actually use the camera obscura in an open room so he could actually position it anywhere so that probably explains how because vermeer has some kind of cityscape type paintings as well i have a feeling that i'm just gonna lose my shit while i'm watching this documentary i loved it i mean it it,
1: it sounds like so many of the things that i love just coming together. Yeah,
0: and, and it's it's really funny too. Like the the guy Tim Jenison, he's a really interesting, likable guy and it's just it's just a really really fun movie. Highly recommend.
1: I have a movie that's not fun and that's Bastards from last year, which I'm really bummed out that I didn't get to see this last year because it uh, it probably more than likely would have made it on my top 10. This is uh, this is currently playing on Netflix in- Instant. It's the newest movie from Claire Denise. and man, it is. This is a stylish thriller, which I've been dying for one for quite some time, and this one just delivered on every aspect. I mean, the the soundtrack for the for the film is just unbelievably haunting, with the synthesizers and everything. It's done by. A, A band called Tinder Sticks, which I've never heard of Tinder Sticks before, but I'm excited about them now because they're they're, the music matches the visuals perfectly. And it's a lot of, you know, contemplative static shots. There's these very slight camera movements, you know, just rounding a turn, like where they have it mounted on the front of a car and they're going around a turn in the middle of the night with just the headlights. And it's just all of it looks... Just unbelievable. It's very sort of gives the whole entire movie this sense of like impending doom, even Mm. though you're the entire time you're not really sure what that doom is because they keep all of it hidden until the very end. And then just like the last couple minutes where they bring they tie everything together and sort of let you know what's going on. And it's just like a huge what the fuck moment at the end. And the way that that's filmed as well, it's sort of. Caught on like surveillance tape. So it, perhaps one of the, well, outside of Gareth Evans' VHS segment, it's better than any of those. And it only lasts like two minutes at the end. But the way that it's filmed, it's better than any of the VHS segments besides maybe Gareth Evans. What about the segments in Sinister? Oh, well, those were pretty good. Yeah, Sinister, those segments are better than anything in VHS. See, there's a lot of things that movies do better than what VHS is trying to do.
0: Well, yeah, and, and plus, the, they use it in moderation too, you know, they they use it... Well, that was
1: the problem with the second one, is they threw it completely out. Like, when you were watching the segments, they weren't filtered through the VHS graininess, which make, inherently makes everything creepier. Agreed. They just threw that out, and it's like, well, what the hell's the point of this whole VHS stick, besides them putting a the VHS tape in
0: a VCR. That's somehow been downgraded from like a digital copy to a VHS.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't get it. But bastards is it's great. It it starts off uh man commits suicide because of this like sleazy banker that he was borrowing money from and you get bits and pieces that this sleazy banker like sexually assaulted their daughter. And she's in the hospital and they have to do like reconstructive surgery on her vagina. And the you know, the father slash husband just couldn't take it anymore, so killed himself. And then the the brother comes back, that was best friends with the husband who was married to his sister. He comes back and he's gonna give vengeance and he sells all of his property, all of his belongings. And he sets out to get back at this sleazy banker, and then he slowly finds out what actually happened. And it's crazy at the end, hmm. but it's sort of this allegory for colonialism, which Denise does all the time. I'm so, I'm definitely interested you're, in this. You're oh, you're gonna I have a yeah. feeling you're gonna love this.
0: I don't know. I don't know about like the vagina stuff and the well, se- it's just, sexual it, assault. But
1: no, it's just they talk about it. You don't oh, okay. really see anything. Okay. At the very end, you do, but they don't, like, explicitly show it. They just give you a hint, and you're like, oh, okay. You you know, you put two and two together.
0: Yeah. Hmm. And uh,
1: it, crush, it crushes oh, and you, your soul.
0: You said that this is on Netflix Instant? This is Netflix Instant right now. Uh, the only other one I want to talk about is also on Netflix Instant. Uh, quite different than, <laughs> than Bastards. It's called Time Stalkers. Time Stalkers. Uh, this is directed by Michael Schultz. And it stars William Devane, Lauren Hutton, and Mr. Klaus Kinski. Oh, yeah. nice! Basically, it's this kind of time travel science fiction movie about this uh, history professor who loses his wife and child in a car accident, and he sort of becomes obsessed with like the wa- the Wild West for some okay. reason, and be- oh, because his kid was like really into it, and he. Yeah. Finds this uh, photograph that was taken in 1886 and he examines it and he realizes that the person in the photograph is holding a 357 Magnum that was created in 1980. And he is trying to wrap his brain around how this is even possible. Like he has the photograph analyzed and it comes back authentic. And he the only thing that he can come up with is fucking time travel. It It has to be It's gotta be time travel No other explanation, time travel And then as soon as he figures this out This woman, played by Lauren Hutton Comes to meet him from the future From 600 years in the future And she tells him that This time traveling scientist guy Has gone back in time To the Old West To screw up history And the two of them must go back And stop him Okay. And it's ridiculous. Uh a lot of the time travel mechanics don't work. You know, like that's the big thing about time travel movies is it's got to be really difficult to write a time travel movie and make it Neither. have it make sense. It's it's
1: it's a lot like found footage where you sort of paint yourself into a box. Yeah, where like exactly. you've got a nail, it's got to be tight.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so it just doesn't work. It, the the special effects are ridiculously bad I mean they're so terrible and I mean William William Devane is pretty cool in this like he's cool in a lot of his early stuff and Klaus Kinski is probably the reason to watch this movie if there was a reason because he's ridiculous in this movie
1: he's ridiculous in everything
0: like it just seems like he doesn't even want to be here like he's just like oh my god this is so stupid He's just phoning it in, but it's, he does it in the funniest way possible. Like he's just, it's ridiculous. Other than that, like the whole time I'm like, so when William Devane figures out that he can, that this woman can time travel and that they can time travel, I don't understand why the first instinct is let's go to the West. Let's go back to the West. (laughs) Like if I could time travel, the last place I would go would be the wild West. Yeah. That doesn't sound like a lot of fun. It sounds awful, and it's just, there's so many just silly, he, dumb things he, in this movie. Does he just, like, buy into it right away? Yeah. Like, she comes well, back,
1: and she's like, I'm a time traveler. Well, what like, awesome. what awesome.
0: What, what happens is she, because, like, with this kind of crystal device thing, they can just kind of jump whenever they want. They can just time travel whenever they want, and she goes into this barn after they figure out this one specific spot where the where the photograph was taken. And she goes back, and then she, when she comes back to the present, William Devane happens to be in the barn, and he sees her, like, jumping back into the present. Yeah. So by that point, he's like, what? What? <laughs> and she's like, I'm a time traveler. Here's your poncho. And he's like, all right. That's the thing. Like, she comes she comes to the, the present from the future and she's carrying a poncho with her the whole time and then she gives William Devane the poncho to wear. It's like, why would he need a poncho? To, I'm pretty sure that they have Western-style ponchos in 1987 yeah, I mean, that he so- could wear. Like, you yeah. don't have to bring that yeah. all the way from 600 Much, years in the future. Dude, ponchos are always Not stuff. necessary.
1: It's always going to be ponchos.
0: And at one point, uh, he... he has this like kind of bandana he think thing that he wears sort of like an ascot right. and then at one point in the movie he takes it off and puts it on like a headband and wears that the whole time <laughs> for some reason and he looks fucking ridiculous
1: does he wear with the headband with the poncho uh
0: I can't please remember say yes please say yes. I can't remember because he does take it off at one point and I can't remember if he puts the poncho on and uh also So she
1: comes back with the poncho.
0: So does she like already know that
1: he's going to immediately want to go to the west? Well, is that that's why she brings the poncho. Well, she knows This is this sounds ridiculous. She
0: knows that they're going to the west because of the the photograph. Oh, okay. But uh you know, I don't even know why she goes back for him because he's the one that came up with this theory. And she's like, Oh, you can help me, but I don't really know if she needs the help. She already knows where she's going. Yeah. But he well see the way that it works is when they when they go back in time, they Oh god. They are in the exact same spot that they're standing in when they like hit the device. Yeah. So I guess she needs his help to find the location of the photograph. Gotcha. I should also mention that Cliff from Cheers is in this. Fantastic. And uh, Uncle Phil from uh, Fresh oh, Prince. Are er, you er, kidding uh, Yeah, is in this uh, Fresh it's, Prince.
1: This sounds amazing.
0: Yeah, Uncle Phil plays a blacksmith, and Cliff from Cheers plays this uh, army major that is kind of obsessed with collecting old, like antique military stuff. Sure. And at one point he tries to punch Klaus Kinski with uh, a pair of spurs. That he has. And he punches him, but it doesn't, doesn't then, work. Yeah, doesn't and work then Klaus Kinsey shoots him like five times and he dies. Oh, my. Oh, it's bad. It's it's very bad. Don't wow. recommend. Unbelievable.
1: That's all I got. I tried another Jacques Tati film. Remember we talked about this guy before? Nope. You don't remember this? The, the sophisticated slapstick? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I do now. I, I, I gave it another shot. 1958's, my uncle, and it started out very promising. This is, now this is a color film, so the color's very vibrant. looked great. has this modern modernism look to it. The way the film starts out with like the opening credits, and the way that he does like the title card, which is just like looks like someone's just handwritten with chalk the title of the film on a wall. So I'm like, all right, I'm gonna be one over here, and I wasn't. I was even more stern-faced than last time, and I was honestly just sitting on the couch with just sort of like a concerned, like perplexed look on my face. Like, what, what am I missing? Am I doing this wrong? Why am I not laughing? Why is this film actually making me mad? Because it's supposed to be like delightful and whimsy and all of those things, but it's not doing that. It's doing the exact opposite. It's making me very angry and concerned just confused all around just an insane amount of befuddlement on my part and I just I don't get it I don't understand it at all I don't I don't know why these are considered classics and the worst part is is the comedy that he does is he tells the same joke just over and over and over again and keep in mind this movie is two hours long so sophisticated subtle slapstick for two hours and it just grows quickly, quickly grows redundant and just tedious beyond belief. And he he actually like rehashes jokes from the last film and just redoes them again. And it's like this is really lazy mm. and just poorly, poorly executed, in my opinion. I don't under I don't get it. This is I think Titi's always gonna he's always gonna befuddle me. Mm. I just yeah, I can't, I, I can't I, get just... into it. And then I read like reviews from everybody, and everyone's like, five star review. And it just it feels like I'm the only one. I'm just lost in my island of befuddlement, hmm. not liking Tati and his delightful charm or whatever the hell it's supposed to be. I, I, I couldn't
0: finish it. I just, after a while, I was like, nope, I'm not doing it. I had to call it quits. Well, yeah, I don't think I'll be watching this. I just watched the trailer, and it did not look. Yeah, Very it,
1: fun to me. There's, there's this whole thing where they have this modernist garden where they have all these paths and these stepping stones and there's really no grass to speak of and you have to walk on the stepping stones. They do that like 11 times in like 40 minutes, which is just like Tati's character trying to walk on the stepping stones when someone else is walking on the stepping stones and they have to dance around. Hmm. And it's supposed to be funny. It's like it was... it. Maybe a slight chuckle the first time, but the eighth time around, it's just lazy and tiresome and I can't do it anymore. So if someone can explain to me what Tati's all about, give me a heads up because I'm really confused. Mm. Okay. Okay. That's, it. That's all I got.
0: Okay. That's it. All right. Let's go ahead and jump into a review of Willow Creek. This came out this this weekend. It's playing in theaters and on demand right now. Written and directed by Bobcat Goldthwaite. I have a synopsis here. From celebrated director Bobcat Goldthwaite comes this edge-of-your-seat horror that will make you think twice before going into the woods. Now, Kevin, I have a review up for this. Kevin, d- did it make you think twice? Uh, are you going to think twice now before going into the woods? No. No? Me neither. Uh-huh. Um, nope. Now, we've talked about this... Numerous times we talked about it just a few minutes ago, in fact, neither of us are big fans of found footage and it's not that it's not that I'm not a big fan of found footage I'm just tired of it it's just yeah it's you're you run down i mean it's just i've you're. seen so many of these. I feel like every week we're getting a new found footage movie to watch, and I'm just tired you- of it and I think that I think that that's uh kind of shitty for movies like this
1: yeah the, the big problem is which we touched on earlier you paint yourself into a box so much so that with the number of found footages that are out there now especially found footage horror is you pretty much know before it even starts how it's going to play out exactly there's going to be the explanatory stuff at the beginning when they're sort of like this is what we're doing we're going on this trip to find out about this and then they interview the locals, and they're like, "Oh, you shouldn't be here. This isn't a good idea." And then they go <laughs> in around. and do it, and shit happens, and then the camera falls at the end. And you're like, "Oh, it was all on a camera. Yeah, fucking cool." Well, so uh, what did you what
0: did you think of Willow Creek?
1: Um, the best thing about Willow Creek is it was only 80 minutes. Yeah. So I only wasted 80 minutes of my time. This is another movie that is befuddling the shit out of me because it currently has a ninety three percent rotten tomatoes.
0: The only I, thing that I the only thing I can come up with uh, is, that, is that critics don't see a lot of found footage
1: because when I uh, I'm just I'm I feel baffled. like I
0: need to I feel like I need to kind of defend or put some sort of uh, like preface on my review because I gave it a six and a half and I was trying to be as objective as I could while watching this. And I was really trying not to think about the 50 other found footage movies that I've <laughs> seen in the last two years.
1: Well, It's something else that
0: I've discussed
1: before is the sad state of horror films. Because I read your review and you're, and I think it's how you end your review where you're saying like, out of all the shitty found footage horror movies out there, this one's not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, the, the, you know, that's that's where we're at. With horror movies. That that's like, that's an endorsement.
0: Like, it's not as bad as all the other shit out there. Well, I would say that this is not the best found footage movie to come out this year. I, I would give him credit that it's perhaps the most realistic. It's very realistic. It's It's well written, too. I actually liked the characters. Like, I didn't hate them. Normally, with found you footage movies, I just... I hate the characters. <laughs>
1: you do you usually hate them? And just, you're just sitting on the
0: edge of your seat with your fingers crossed, like, please let it happen. Let it happen now. Let it happen <laughs> within the next five minutes. But I actually liked these characters. I thought that they were, they felt realistic to me. Like they felt like real people, not just actors pretending to be real people. Yeah. And I think that that goes a long way with found footage there was another one that came out this year called affliction or no no i'm sorry afflicted and that that was similar where the characters actually felt like real people and that i think that that really goes a long way with these movies and i thought it was funny too at least at the the beginning i thought that there were there were a number of parts that made me laugh
1: this, there's a couple chuckles in there but and
0: one of the things that i've
1: Noticed that a lot of people are like losing their shit over is the 20 minute Ugh. tent scene. Yeah. Which, again, I like I said, this is extremely realistic because that's probably, you know, that's what would happen. It's, but it's so realistic that it's as boring as real life is. It does. Uh... Which I don't know if it's to, to me, this is just, I sat there and watched for 20 minutes two people just staring, uh, attentively attentive listening. Yeah two sounds in the night and people are like oh my god it's amazing it's like no you turn a camera on you sit it down and you have two people essentially sit there and do nothing except you know cry out terror once in
0: a blue moon i think that it was an interesting choice to do that it's an
1: interesting choice but it doesn't work it's not entertaining it's not
0: thought provoking it's not it's just two people sitting i think maybe it's designed to build suspense but it, yeah a, I, and, and at first it does that's the thing like at first it goes like, oh, for shit. way too long and, and it's like it peaks and then it starts to go down you know what i mean like so like at first like for like the first five minutes you're watching that sequence you're just like oh my god oh my god what's gonna good. happen it's gonna happen soon and then like 10 minutes and you're like all right okay <laughs> and then finally and then by it, the time it, something it, 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 happens you're just like you're done with it
1: and then there's another howling sound, and, and well, for me at least, there was another howling sound, and I thought to myself, "What? What am I watching?" Because I just, like, I sort of forgot. I'm like, "What is this even about?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, okay, they're Bigfoot or something." It's just I, I lost interest in 80 minutes. It couldn't sustain my interest for 80
0: minutes. I am just, I'm baffled by all the praise. I'm uh, also. I don't really get it. Like I didn't read any other reviews on this. I meant to, but I didn't read any what anybody else was saying. And I mean, was it like the the end that everybody's loving? Oh, people are loving. People are loving mostly the
1: the tent scene. That seems to be the huge thing because oh man, he did twenty
0: minutes single take. Which Yeah, oh, it's a on.
1: fucking camera sitting a on break. a break
0: I'm sorry, but that does not deserve any kind of praise uh, Like, it, it's, it's literally people just it, it, Sitting, the, holding each other The camera is stuck, it's, it's, it's like on a tripod I mean, come on, anybody can do that They turn a camera on and sit it on top of a
1: sleeping bag, essentially And two people hold each other and just listen to stuff and it, I mean, like, yeah, they don't fuck up for that twenty minutes. But how hard is it to act to just, like you're listening? Yeah, to things?
0: and just be kind of scared. I mean, it it was fine for me. Like, I knew that people were going to be talking about that that scene for sure. Um, the thing that I liked the most was a specific camera shot that happened at the very end. I don't want to give it away, but there was uh, something that happened with the camera at the end. Uh, that I liked a lot. I thought it looked really what, what
1: cool. What was it? Let's, let's do it.
0: Bust it out there.
1: Because I mean, honestly, I don't think it's a spoiler to say nothing happens.
0: It was uh, the the shot when the camera was getting dragged through the grass. Okay. I liked that. I thought that looked okay. really cool. Gotcha. And, the- <laughs> and yeah, this? I like how
1: they just stumble upon that. <laughs> that
0: was kind of a surprise.
1: <laughs> they just stumble upon that, and that's when I was like, "Oh, something's gonna happen." But it, I do like the idea of. Like, how did we come to find this footage? Like, are we... Is this the Bigfoots themselves? Like, are they watching this on their Acer? Well... And putting it together? Because I do like the Bigfoots' choice to start the movie at the end and then go back to the beginning.
0: Well, maybe one of the towns. Maybe that guy that, uh, you know, blocked their path. I, I, I like to think that it's the Bigfoot.
1: The group of Bigfoot, they get the camera... I like, I like imagining
0: they, seeing a they group of, it. They downloaded onto
1: their Acer and they just they cut it together and they threw it out there. I like that. I like that. They started idea. they started a Kickstarter, got the necessary funds, finished the film up, <laughs> did the festival run, released it on VOD. That's how I like to think all of this went down. Because it's the only way I can make it interesting.
0: I'm pretty sure in all of the found footage movies I've ever seen, there's only one, and that's the dirties that actually it it actually tells you how this footage came to be yeah like i don't think that that's that's like one thing that they they can never seem to explain is how did we get this footage how did we get it who edited it you know who put this together although i think that for the most part we're supposed to believe that this is like the raw footage
1: maybe it was maybe it was the hefty woman with nothing but underpants on.
0: <laughs> it might have been... Uh, I mean, it might have been... The, the thing that I thought was kind of interesting was the, the guy that blocks their path and tells them to get the fuck out of here and all this stuff. That scene, to me, was kind of like the seed of doubt. Like, where I was like, okay, maybe we're supposed to be questioning whether or not th- this is Bigfoot or, you know, a human that's fucking with them. Yeah. So, I thought that... Putting something in like that to make us question whether or not they were dealing with a series of uh, a, a clan of big big feet bigfoots big feats <laughs> big feets. Big feets? I, like to, I like to call them big feats a series like a clan of big feats or maybe it was a clan of creepy mountain men that they were dealing with we don't know
1: we don't know but either or they're both just as uninteresting in my eyes <laughs> it's yeah. like to me that seed of doubt's like that doesn't make it any better.
0: I can't help but wonder, though, if this came out instead of the Blair Witch Project. I think that this was better than the Blair Witch Project. I think that this did things in a more entertaining and in more effective way than Blair Witch.
1: Once again, it's this isn't Bobcat Goldthwaite's fault, but if this movie just came out, no one really, you know, it got sort of mixed reviews, and it was like. 55 percent 60 percent you know some people liked it most people didn't you know that type of deal i wouldn't be that enthusiastic about my dislike for the movie i think it's more so that it has a 93 percent and everyone's losing their shit over it which again is not bobcat's fault but i think that does that does play into it a little bit where i'm like what the fuck am i missing
0: i have to wonder I have to wonder if just the fact that it was Bobcat Goldthwait that directed this.
1: That's another thing. I, was I, I have to, to believe... If this was, if this
0: was a no-name... Yeah. I have to believe that him doing this has something to do with this being so successful.
1: This It'd be interesting to see if this was directed
0: by the guy that did, like, Wrong Turn 4. Right. To see how people would would react to it. Because, I mean, in the pantheon of found footage... Yes, this is one of the better ones. Absolutely, it's also extremely forgettable,
1: like ninety percent of the other ones.
0: Yes, it's just. Are you going to remember Willow Creek within like next month? I already forgot most of what happens <laughs> in it. I remember the silly painting of the the big the big feats on the that, on the side would, of the building. <laughs> see that I did. That was one thing that I thoroughly enjoyed: the
1: breakdown of the forced labor yeah, of the uh, big feats. <laughs> such a weird mural.
0: Yeah, I thought that was funny. Uh there there were like a lot of thi- there were a number of things I did like about this movie. I like I just like the little town that they were in. I'm a big fan of weird roadside attractions and th- places like that, like off the highway diners and stuff. I like all that stuff. So, you know, seeing seeing that was was cool and I I liked his commentary on everything and the creepy townsfolk and stuff like that. I liked all that. I thought it was funny.
1: I did. The creepiest part for me was the, the owner of the bookstore. <laughs> His eyes were the creepiest thing in the entire movie. Yep. But I was, I was very happy for, I'm not sure how long it lasted, but there was no mention of like, Oh, let's make a porno with this, which seems to be in every single <laughs> found footage movie yeah. ever. There was like, hey, let's make a porno. And I was yeah. really happy they
0: didn't do that but then he sort of did which he, pissed me off yeah he kind of did but that was kind of like a joke thing though yeah, it, this to me feels like a joke the whole movie feels like a joke yeah
1: like fuck you for liking found footage are this is how easy
0: it is maybe that's it I mean you know maybe. That's, what, that's what Bobcat Goldthwait does he... What he does do but still then it's still not you know I'll be like
1: I'll give you like a golf clap like ah I got what you're doing it's still it. not a. It's still not a good movie, and I never want to watch it again. Yeah. Well,
0: I'm sure you. There would be no reason to watch it again. I mean, it's just the same reason that you would never watch Blair Witch again. I mean, I, I, you never saw Blair Witch, did you? I never. I
1: never have. Yeah. I, think probably, I guess that's something. I think the lesson of today is there's a lot of stuff that I need to see.
0: Captain <laughs> <laughs> <Kept laughs> used to watch a lot of movies.
1: <laughs> a lot of movies to watch. <laughs> Gotta stop wasting my time with these tatty, sophisticated slapstick bullshit. Watch me some, some Blair Witch.
0: Blair, some Blair Witch Blair Witch 2. Book of Shadows. Blair Witch
1: 2. Book of Shadow and Time Stalkers. <laughs> Double Bill. What's so up?
0: You? you don't need to see Blair Witch. No, really? I really? mean, you, you, that one's one you don't need to see because, you know, it's like you, you saw Willow Creek, so you saw Blair Witch. It's the essentially same, yeah it's the same thing and although blair witch is like 10 times more annoying
1: i did notice that a lot of people were like this is exactly like blair witch oh, except yeah. for whatever whatever's in blair i guess the blair witch is just cut out and there's a sasquatch put in
0: yeah it's uh very i mean structurally it's like almost exactly the same this is more entertaining though i mean like in Blair Witch, it's literally a group of like four people in the woods the whole time, and it's shot on this like grainy black and white, and it's like super super shaky handheld. Yeah, I do
1: remember seeing bits and pieces of it with the extreme close up and the the shaky cam. and yeah, the just, crying. I can't do
0: that. The crying and the snot coming out of her nose and I can't,
1: I can't do that. I don't
0: have time. Yeah, I remember that. seeing this in the theater and people are just getting motion sick from it and stuff. Uh, either way, uh, so I gave, uh, I gave Willow Creek a very generous six and a half out of ten, and again, I will say that when I was reviewing it, I was just, I was trying not to think about other found footage movies. I was trying to do it as objectively as I could. Personally, on a personal level, I am sick and tired of found footage movies, and this. You know, I knew the score for this before going into it. I knew it had like a 90 some percent. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to be a game changer. This is going to be like what what makes me have faith in these found footage movies. And it it wasn't like I just didn't understand. I just didn't understand. I'm
1: still I'm still confused. I don't. I don't know if I watched the
0: like the. wrong <laughs> no, edit. I was just gonna Did say, I watch the wrong edit? Did this... we? Do we see some like weird version? I don't know. Right. Either way, what are you gonna give Willow Creek? I give. I give Willow Creek a like uh, uh, a one. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you were just. I gave it a two. I was. Uh, I, was one. I was. I was.
1: I thought. I thought about a two there for like a split second, but then I went back to the one definitely the
0: one I knew you yeah I knew you were gonna hate that one so that's not a surprise to me Willow Creek is playing in select cities and video on demand now all right let's talk about Edge of Tomorrow Ernie welcome back to the show how you doing sir
3: I am doing great how are you
0: doing pretty good so this is directed by Doug Lyman stars Tom Cruise Emily Blunt Bill Paxton Uh, I have a synopsis here an officer finds himself caught in a time loop in a war with an alien race His skills increase as he faces the same brutal combat scenarios and his union with a special forces warrior gets him closer and closer to defeating the enemy. Now, Ernie, you wrote a review for this on the site. You gave it an eight and a half. I didn't read your review because I knew we were going to be talking about it today. So I'll start it off and going into this movie, I should also mention that Brendan Gleeson is in it too. I forgot to mention him. Going into this. I had no expectations. I was not thrilled with the trailer. Didn't really want to see it <laughs> at all. Oh. But I was pleasantly surprised. I had a lot of fun with this movie. I thought that the action was well done. I actually liked the whole Groundhog Day mechanic. And it. one of the big surprises to me was that it was actually quite funny. Right. I really liked the comedic elements of this movie seeing Tom Cruise get killed over and over again.
3: (laughs) Probably like a wish fulfillment fantasy for his uh, detractors.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was a gas. Uh, so, oh, just generally speaking, I liked it quite a bit. Now, what, what are your general thoughts?
3: Um, the first I heard of this movie was at Comic-Con, I guess it was last year or the year before. And um, at the time, it was going under its original title, uh, All You Need Is Kill, which is the title of the uh, novel that the film is based on. And at the time, I'm like, yeah, it looks cool, but it's like, is one of those, is like, I'll see it, but I'm like, it's freaking Groundhog Day.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: And... And when the trailers came out, I was like, all right, it's Groundhog Day with a sci-fi twist. And I am like, I'll still check it out. I'm like, it looks like it could be good. And then I was rather surprised that it was better than I thought it would be. Uh, mainly because, one, the sense of humor was very prevalent, and I was not expecting that. It was actually quite funny here and there. Not just funny ha-ha, but just really amusing on how the dynamics of things work out and what they have to go through. It was actually just uh, was quite funny to think about. And the repetitiveness. Uh, the repetitiveness of it, it actually capitalizes on that and makes it part and makes it even funnier. Mm-hmm. And, um, just the extent again, when you're dealing with time travel movies, time loop movies, you're always like thinking, it's like, Oh, they're probably gonna mess something up. But, um, just like not saying this is T2 level, but I remember in Terminator 2, there was a the moment where diehards knew the history of Terminator, you knew what was gonna happen, how this was gonna happen, what was gonna bring it about and then there's just one moment where everything changed and then you don't know what the hell's gonna happen. They changed the future, so now everything is an unwritten book. And so there's a moment in here where you're seeing the time loop again and again and again, and you kind of think you know where it's going. And then there was one instance where, just like in T2, something happened that changed changed everything. Something's gonna have to like really mess things up and it could go good, could go bad. And you don't know where the hell this is going to go. So I was like, that was something I loved about it.
0: Yeah, I, I liked all that, all that stuff too. I I liked the exosuits that they wore. I thought that they were pretty cool. The the whole movie felt like a video game. Like everything about this movie felt like a video game, where the character keeps I even, dying.
3: I even mentioned it in my review, and I was talking about the uh, the D Day invasion and uh, met the first medal of honor, mm-hmm. <laughs> and how frustrating. It- was just to finish that opening i and like I can't even think back how many times it took me to finally get through the damn thing and I didn't Daddy. cheat as far as I know I can't remember for sure but I don't think I cheated <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah I mean it's just like you you do it over and over and over again and then eventually your muscle memory kicks in you remember where the enemies pop up and that's exactly how this this movie plays out it's he keeps doing it over and over again until he rem memorizes where where everything is and it's very much like a video game um i did have some issues with it the ending i i had some problems with right. the end and i don't i don't know if uh I, I guess we could get into some spoilers in a little bit but i did i did have some minor issues with the ending yeah, for me the end,
3: uh, same here the ending was probably standout the main standout uh issue that i had with the movie but not enough to ruin
0: it. So, Yeah, it wasn't enough to ruin it for me. I looked at this like just a an entertaining summer blockbuster. Like, I didn't think that this was amazing or anything. I, I wasn't blown away by anything that happened in the movie. But it was all serviceable. Like, it was all... Yeah. It was just fun. It was fun yeah, it was and entertaining.
3: Straight up popcorn. Flick, yeah. As I call it, it was
0: just fun. Exactly. And I, I did like the... the mechanic and how they explained it because it at first just from the trailers i was like how does any of this even make sense Mm -hmm. like how does this work uh but it all it all kind of fell into place and you were except for that ending you were all kind of like okay i get it i understand how how this works and it does kind of throw some interesting things in there once you realize that you know, the enemy knew that this was happening and certain other things that they kind of throw in. And that kind of make, gives it a little bit more depth and makes it more more of a thinker, but you still don't have to think too much while watching this movie. Mm. P- Performance-wise, I thought Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt were, were pretty great. Yeah. You know, say what you will about Tom Cruise, but he's a great actor, and this movie just shows once again that he has the ability to be serious. He, he gives a more comedic performance in this movie than he has in a while. Right. And he's just, uh, I think he's a, just a great actor.
3: Yeah, and it's like with his character, it's not giving anything away, but he, at the beginning, he's sure at the beginning he's likable, but he turns out to be a coward. He's not, right. he's, he's nothing more than a war correspondent who doesn't want right. to get, get his hands dirty. And, um, and, and you're like, that hey, was
0: something, that was something I didn't expect. Hell, at the beginning of the movie, we yeah. realized he's not a soldier. Like he's yes. thrown into this, this fight, uh, by Brennan Gleeson and he has no idea what's going on.
3: Yeah. He's not at the beginning. He's not Maverick, nowhere near Maverick. So, and it's like, he's definitely the kind of guy you would not want to have as your wingman,
0: <laughs> which is another, which is, was one of the first issues that I was thinking about while watching this. He's like this big-time war correspondent who's on all the TV channels, all the news channels, and yet no, no one seems to know who he is when they knock him out and, you know, demote him down to a private. Like, did that Did that not strike you as odd that suddenly no one knows who this guy is?
3: Um, it didn't come to mind right away. I mean, it seems like the whole... I mean, you'll... It's all explained in like the first five minutes that it seems like the whole battle is localized to Europe. So So maybe they wouldn't So have maybe seen maybe these him. these recruits are unaware of and he's an American, so um, so maybe these recruits are actually local and they know know nothing of That's the American true. coverage. So it's and he, he keeps keep saying say, Hey, you have no control of me, I'm a US officer and it's like <laughs> it's like
0: That was the other thing I, I liked I liked and disliked about this movie. The thing that I liked was the fact that he early in the film joins up with this kind of crew, and it felt very aliens to me. Like it, it had that kind mm. of vibe where you have this uh, like crew of roughnecks, and each each person is different and unique in their own way. And but they're all badasses, you know. They're all these right. badass soldiers. And then at one point in the film, he needs to kind of recruit them to come with him on a mission. Mm-hmm. And what happens there, I'll save it for spoilers, but what happens there, I was like, that is just, it felt like a wasted opportunity uh, to me, at least. I, I wanted to see more of him working with that crew. I wanted to see more of that crew, hmm. but definitely had an aliens vibe to me.
3: Yeah, unfortunately, thanks to aliens and predator, I don't think any film since then has ever managed to capture the uh, the dynamic of a uh, squad of a squad. Yeah.
0: yeah, I agree. But this this got close because I did like the squad. I just wanted more of them. I wanted to see more of them being badasses.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, what did you think of uh, the
3: creatures? What are they called? Mimics? Uh, they're called mimics. Um, when you when I first saw the creatures, I'm think they look like the uh, the uh, squids in Matrix, whatever those things are called.
0: Yeah, they did kind of. But that uh,
3: but it turned out that they're actually they're organic, so they're not machines at least the best i can tell i mean they're they were cool the the idea of their uh their abilities were was interesting and um it doesn't the film doesn't dwell too long on what their abilities are it just is like this is all you need to know and we're gonna go from here i mean i'm willing to guess that that's further explained in the novel but um for the film it's it gave you just all you needed to know of who they are what they are what they can do what you need to do to beat them and,
0: right and i and i think that the consensus was also that we didn't know that much about them mm-hmm. as, as humans also. Like we didn't know, you know, what's, what's his name? Um, the, the scientist he's in.
3: Uh, Yeah. Um, what's his name? What's his name?
0: <laughs> Noah Taylor. Noah Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he was, he's the one that kind of figured it out and had this theory about them, but everybody thought that he was a kook. So mm-hmm. nobody really listened to what he had to say. Which is, yeah, kinda, I think,
3: which is kind of amusing if this was actually fact-based. Would people be that, like, think uh, time travel and whatnot is crazy when you're dealing with actual extraterrestrials? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> in this world where aliens have invaded us, does that seem crazy? Um, speaking of the time travel mechanics, so they say in the trailer, so it's it's not uh, that's not giving anything away, that these mimics have the ability to reset the day. So they, they can go back in time a day. So if one of them gets killed, they can just reset the day and start over again. And they can learn our patterns. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the whole premise is that through a series of events, Tom Cruise taps into this ability. Right now, what did, you, what did you think of how all that played out with him being able to reset the day every time he dies?
3: Um, I like that idea. of it. I thought that was cool. Um, it does leave itself open to some scrutiny if you really step to think about it, but, um, all of that probably won't come into play until after the movie's done. Then you can go back and think about things. But as the movie progresses, it works just fine. And it presents a lot of comedic, uh, comedic moments mm-hmm. and some like really cool moments. But, um, yeah. overall it was just a really cool dynamic.
0: And, and it was something that I thought, like, I wasn't buying into it from the just reading the premise and judging from the trailers. Like, I was just like, oh, come on. Sci-fi Groundhog Day, give me a break. But in execution, I thought that it worked really well, and it was really fun. Especially, you know, when he's doing the training, and every time mm-hmm. he fucks up in the training, Emily <laughs> Blunt just shoots him in the face. <laughs>
3: yeah, there was, yeah there was like, even, like, a, a great Bill Paxton moment, like, after one of his... One of mm, uh mm-hmm. one of his failed loops. <laughs> Bill Paxton's reaction is just like uh, sadly you laughing laugh, your ass off. Yeah, Bill Paxton. Bill
0: Paxton was great in this. I I loved him as this. Was he a, uh, he was a sergeant I, I, yeah, from Kentucky? Uh, yep.
3: Uh, I guess. <laughs> I, I just, guess. Yeah. I guess he's the drill sergeant. I guess. Yeah.
0: So. Master Sergeant Farrell loved loved him in that role. um I'm struggling to talk about things that aren't spoilers. So maybe we should just get into, maybe we should just get into this. Yeah, there's so, a,
3: if you see the trailer, the trailer doesn't give everything away. It does like give out some moments that would have been cool to be left for the reviewer to discover. But if you've seen the trailer, don't base your decision to see the movie. You're not on the trailer. Just go.
0: Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. Cause like I said before the trailer didn't do it for me. I was not, buying into it. Like the suits look cool. It looked like there was some cool action, but it looked kind of generic to me. Mm. And it, it turns out that this, this it's not generic. It's actually quite well-made and entertaining and fun. Let's go ahead and jump into some spoilers. So we'll put the time code in the show notes. So if you haven't seen edge of tomorrow yet, just go ahead and skip ahead uh, over this part. Um, The big thing I guess would be the ending. So he he kills the Omega, and it, I guess consumes its its blood, or its blood kind of goes into, into him. him. Yeah, and then it resets the day all the way back to when he's in the helicopter. Mm. But when he resets the day, since the Omega's dead, they don't come back. Um. That, see that that was the the ending was the only thing that I was having a hard time really grasping what was going on there.
3: Yeah, it was kind of confusing initially on first viewing because um, uh, as we were talking about this, it just my had a possible theory for it, is that we know that when you die and if you kill an alpha and its blood gets into you as you die and when you die, you end up harnessing their power right. of resetting the ability to reset the day, which explains why the are able to beat the uh, human soldiers because they already know what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And um, so we know that he has the ability to reset the day. And then in the end, when uh, Cage gets killed and is dying, and then he get, he consumes it, then his day reset. And I was like, thinking, it's like, okay, you have the ability to reset the day. I'm, like, and again, this is where it comes in, where you start thinking about the, uh, the construct of the time travel. Does that mean it's like you had the ability to reset the day? You choose the moment where to go to? And then you're like, okay. then why does he keep going to the day when he's dumped on the deck? I'm like I don't know. What what it's I, like, or it's like, and then this in this case, he's back in the helicopter. And that I was just thinking that maybe he's not resetting the day. It's actually the day is being reset to whatever alien just died.
0: Well, yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I was thinking. So that it resets it to the Omega thinks that Tom Cruise is the Alpha, and when he so when he dies, it resets mm-hmm. his day, thinking that he's an Alpha. Yeah. Because it's the it, they say in the movie that it's the Omega that actually resets the day, and yeah. but but is it not? It's not all in one day though, right? Because when he wakes up, it's the day before he gets
3: yeah, killed. Yeah, yeah. So that could be a twenty-four hour period. So
0: and maybe is is the day he.
3: before, and then they get dumped on. Then they go through like some pretty intense uh, PT, and then they get dumped on the beach the next morning. So it yeah. could be like in for the 24 hour day. So maybe, okay. So yeah, maybe that's... the Omega technically, maybe the Omega was killed before and, but no one had the ability to reset a day yet. So I don't know.
0: But, and, and, and then plus when he, when the final reset happens, it puts him back way more than a day.
3: Um, it puts yeah, him... it's like the, well, it's the day before. So he arrives and it's, and it was like, a. You're going. You're dealing with alternate timelines too now. So, um, so this could be like the 3,000th alternate timeline, and hence, once he killed off the Omega and the invasion didn't, and then I guess the invasion didn't happen. Oh wait, I'm just opening a whole can of worms now. Confused. <laughs> yeah, it's cra-
0: it's crazy. It's it's weird to think about because up until that final moment, everything was reset a day. Yeah, and in that final moment, they reset it all the way back. Like however many days we don't know how many days yeah, so it was, it was like from the,
3: the events the invasion he's going to london or wherever or paris or whatever they were going and then then suddenly the aliens die off i'm like now i'm thinking it's like but if the aliens and when did the may go arrive <laughs> so, yeah it's
0: crazy i, so, I don't know oh, hopefully
3: that's in the novel <laughs>
0: well i think from what i read the The novel, the ending of the novel is quite a bit different than the movie. Hmm. They changed a lot from the original novel and the original screenplay from what I heard.
3: Well, also the ending could also be basically just kowtowing to Hollywood. And it's like, we got to have the obligatory Hollywood, happy Hollywood ending.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know that. Come on. Everything just ends so perfectly and wrapped in a nice little bow where he meets up with I mean it would have been I mean, her her granted end. it would
3: have been really cool if it didn't. Yeah, they were all dead now. yeah yeah <laughs> if so, they all just died and then yeah, they it. all just died and then, then the world goes on and is like hey so the aliens are dead I don't know what the hell happened yeah us well,
0: that, well that's that's what would make sense right like he kills the omega because the omega is the one that has the power to travel back in time he kills it even though he dies all the other aliens die and then we win end of movie mm-hmm. like that makes sense but to have the blood go into him, how does the blood even go into him? He's dead. He's not breathing. So he can't breathe it in. I mean, no, none of that makes sense. I, but at the same time, I don't, I, like, it wasn't a deal breaker for me. Like, it didn't bother me that much. Mm. Like you said, it was not until after the movie that I really started thinking about it. And was like, wait a minute. That what? doesn't work. I don't get that.
3: Yeah, but still, overall, the everything s- seems to be like pretty compact, and they got everything under control in terms of the time travel. But uh, just, the oh, ending, yeah. just the ending kind of like spins it into a different territory where you're like scratching your head, It's like, wow, why, why is this happening? Okay, I get it. You said it, it was like, why is everybody saluting him? How do they know why is he important? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, uh, I was like, something's askew here. But I'm like, okay. But before the end, before the ending, everything was cool. Even even the finale for them to finally take down the Omega was pretty uh, pretty exciting.
0: And then yeah, it was uh, cool. And going back to what I said before, I wish so he he compiles this team and he's like, oh, we're gonna need help. We need some help on this. So he gets this team together and they all fucking die right away. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. did you really need the team? Really, you just needed one dude to fly <laughs> the ship in there, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I wanted to see more of them, you know, fighting, fighting the, uh, not the alphas, but whatever the, the drones or whatever the yeah. hell they are. Yeah. Wanted to see more of that and more of them, like, exploring the the area in, what is it, the Louvre? That's where it is, right? Uh,
3: Yeah. Yep. That's where it is.
0: Wanted to explore that area and stuff. And I just wanted more of that team. And I thought that it was shitty that they all got killed right away,
3: mm-hmm. but they all came back in the end. So.
0: Of course, yeah, everything's fine. <laughs> yeah,
3: everything, everything right. is fine. Everything but, just
0: goes back to normal. So the other thing is that Emily Blunt has experienced this also. Yeah, that's so that's,
3: that's touched upon in the trailer, but probably isn't it? Right, right. It is entirely clear as to what exactly she's getting at. So.
0: So the whole thing is that like there was another battle before the one that's in the movie that we see multiple times, and during that battle she had the ability and she was able to win that battle by using the ability. And as it turns out, the the mimics want her, wanted her to win that battle, and they were planting visions. That's the other thing that I'm not really sure about they were planning visions in their heads as to where the omega is located but it's like if if the mimics like why even bother doing that because how do we know what the omega is you know what i'm saying like if we never saw the the now, omega are, before
3: are we sure it was the battle that Emily Blood's character was in that was a setup or was it the the battle on the beach that was the setup because i think it was the battle on the beach that was the setup
0: no they they said that they they wanted them to win that battle with Emily Blunt because that way it got all of the soldiers in one place for that final battle. Hmm. So the final battle was a trap, yes, but the one before that, they wanted them to win hmm. because the, then now the humans think that we're winning this war when in fact it's quite the opposite. They were going to finish us off.
3: Right, Right. and then that moment in... Uh... T2 that I was mentioning of is how, uh, Emily Blunt's character, uh, Rita, it's like Reykjavik or something like that. I <laughs> can't remember her character's last name, but, uh, she loses her ability because of a uh, blood transfusion. Mm-hmm. And, and then, uh, at some point, uh, Cage, Tom Cruise's character ends up getting a blood transfusion and he loses the ability.
0: So Which I, I loved that, that scene because through the whole movie, we, we, we know that he's just going to reset, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's not a yeah. huge deal when he gets killed. The stakes aren't that high, but then as soon as he gets the blood transfusion and he's like, shit, I don't have the power anymore. Then yeah. it's like, okay, now we got to start.
3: Yeah. So that's where it really, yeah, this is where it gets interesting. Cause now it's like one and done just like a, yeah, just like trying to get through resident evil with one life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I liked when that happened. I thought that that was really cool. I kind of figured, that that would happen at some point, but cause they explained how all that works, where you start seeing the visions and then you, she got injured, had lost all of her blood and then lost the ability.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But what I'm wondering is what if she didn't lose all of her blood? What if she gained, still had the ability? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if, if you don't die, if you don't kill yourself at the end of the day, the day reset yeah do you just do you just go to sleep like do you have to die or uh, do you just keep living
3: yeah I mean what what if all we were seeing in the movie were actually her resets and, and Cruzs uh, cage is just part of that <laughs> so oh, they, they were you, both you,
0: resetting yeah they' were both so, resetting everything. oh man that is
3: so that would be like and then everything gets jumbled <laughs>
0: so. yeah yeah what if they were both resetting at the same time it would have been a mess
3: yeah so who knows
0: and what happens what i want to know is like what happens to those people when it when the reset occurs do they just disappear or do they wake up do they wake up at the same time as tom cruise the day before but just don't realize that it's been reset or does their do their lives go on until they all get killed these are these are these are pretty crazy this is a this is a mind
3: fuck (laughs) that would actually make you mental and they would probably put you in the loony bin or or the psych ward
0: (laughs) oh the uh, other thing I, i thought that this it felt kind of long to me like there were certain parts that i thought dragged like especially when they finally get past the beach and i was like oh yeah they're gonna go to that dam and then they're gonna kill the omega and it's game over for them but then they realized that the Omega is not at the dam; that they were implanting those visions to trap them. And then it's mm-hmm. like, oh shit! Now we got this whole other thing that we got to go through. And it, it started to f- drag a little bit for well, me at that point. I didn't point,
3: mind but... I didn't really mind it at all. I mean, uh, the whole yeah, stable scene. Uh, basically, I mean, initially when you think of it and see, you're probably yeah, this is the part where he's gonna re- try to romance her get to know well, her yeah. and the i people, like that. and they fall in love and whatnot and this thing and it's like you know, that's where i go and then you realize something's off here and it's like why is he like you think he's being a douche because he's stopping off to hit on this girl in the midst of a war where where mankind is in the balance yeah. and then you realize as it's going on it's like oh he's trying to prevent her death and that was, that was the it's, other thing. this is gonna happen here and he knows it so yeah and the fact that he said this, like no matter how many times I've done this, which probably means he probably went to this moment like a thousand times, it's like, I can't save you.
0: Yeah, that was one thing I liked about that scene was that we didn't know that he had been here already. Like we didn't know that that this was part of like he got this far in the game, so to speak. like and then we realize there's there's little things that they give you hints of, like how he finds the coffee and the shirt and all that stuff. And then you start to realize, like, okay, he's been here before, and then he reveals it, and then he explains that no matter how whatever happens, she dies. I guess
3: I guess you could say that's almost a tip of the hat to the Groundhog Day uh, comparison, because basically Groundhog, Bill Murray's Groundhog Day was basically he's supposed to redo everything again and again until he gets everything just right to get Andy McDowell. So it's almost like this little moment here seems like, okay, this is going to be the Groundhog Day moment. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then you find out it's nothing like that.
0: Um, no, no, nothing like that at all. Any other spoilers? Um, no,
3: nothing I can think of.
0: No, there's nothing I can really think of either. Let's go ahead and get back into it. Welcome back if you skipped over. Final thoughts on Edge of Tomorrow, Ernie?
3: Um, definitely one of the better sci-fi films. Uh, certainly better than Oblivion and, of course, Light Years Beyond After Earth. <laughs> No, i haven't um, seen after Earth, unfortunately so. i can't compare it to elysium which i haven't seen but uh uh, Better. Prob- uh probably may- maybe on the level of a district nine but not as good i mean mm. i mean clearly mm. it's n- it's nowhere near as good as days of few years past but um for for time travel films are really solid and a lot def- definitely a lot of fun so if you just go yeah. have a fun time in a movie that you could just jump right into without thinking it's like oh I haven't seen the sequels or the, or the last ones or anything like that. this one you can just dive right in and just
0: enjoy it yeah and I thought that the a lot of the design work like on the exosuits and stuff that was really cool like uh, all of that looked really yeah, good
3: they, they were surprisingly some really simplistic
0: <laughs> yeah so. yeah they were but I thought that all that stuff looked good it, it looked like they used a lot of practical effects for the suits and stuff which I liked a lot I thought that the CG work on the aliens was not very good. Like, they didn't look that good to me at all. But all the other stuff I thought looked quite good. Right. Now, did you see this in 2D or 3D? I did
3: didn't see it in 3D. 3D was fine. I don't think it's it's a need to see it in 3D.
0: I have an interesting story regarding that. So, I've been trying to avoid... 3d and i just keep getting roped into seeing the 3d version so with this one i tried to go see it in 2d sat down in the theater uh the opening credits started rolling and everything was neon pink and neon green (laughs) and at first i thought that it was like a stylistic thing like Mm. it was supposed to look because if you remember like the beginning uh very beginning like title cards it they make it look like it's um, like news footage and it's like kind of messed up and it shows like, uh, you know, like the screen gets screwed up periodically. Mm -hmm. And I thought that it was all that was part of it. And I was like, Oh, this is kind of cool. And then like the actual movie began, I was like, wait a minute. And it turned out that at the theater I was in, they put the 3d version into the 2d projector and it was all screwed up. And then, so they had to move everybody in that theater to another theater and then play it in three D. So, I saw the three really? D version.
3: Yeah, late, lately I've been like, it's like it's if I can go three D, I'll see it. But I mean, I saw X Men in two D and and I saw Godzilla in two D and three D. I actually prefer the two D, because you can actually see it.
0: Unless it's unless it's shot natively in 3D, yeah. I'm I'm not interested.
3: Yeah, I know I'm not running out the door to go see it, but I know Transformers is the first to be shot in with IMAX 3D cameras. So hmm. that'll be actually one to see in IMAX 3D because it's... So see how that turns out. I mean, I'm not expecting much, but...
0: <laughs> I'm expecting nothing from that movie. So, well, there you have it. Edge of Tomorrow, you gave it an 8.5. I'm going to say... I'm going to give it a seven and a half. So definitely check that out. It's in theaters now. Thank you so much, Ernie, for taking some time to talk with us. No problem. All right, let's go over some predictions. Last week we said edge of tomorrow. You said 74. I said 62 actual 89. I have not been doing too good on these predictions recently.
1: I don't, I don't think any of us really have.
0: It's yeah. It's uh. it's not been too good. The Fault in Our Stars, you said seventy-eight, I said seventy-four, actual eighty-two. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. That could end up on the top ten this summer. Uh, and, yeah, and, you know, I
1: didn't even th- I didn't even think about it. Well see, I did.
0: I like 20. I was thinking about it and I was when I was making my list, I was like, Man, Fault in Our Stars, that's gonna be big. But then I thought it won't be bigger than like these big superhero movies because I don't know any guy that's gonna want to go see *The Fault in Our Stars*, but that was that was backwards. I shouldn't have thought of that yeah. because all the guys are gonna be seeing it because their girlfriends and wives are gonna be dragging them to go see this.
1: Plus, you also gotta you gotta take into account the the compromise views. The compromise, of course. You know what I mean? Like, hey, and, if and, you and go see Godzilla with me, I'll go see right. the *Fault in Our Stars* with you.
0: And, and especially because *Edge of Tomorrow* came out. This weekend too Which is I I think that You know That's Could be a a Universally Viewed movie But I'm sure that it's More guys would be interested In seeing it So Right there You got your compromise
1: You didn't You didn't take into account The compromise views
0: I know It's It's my (sighs) fault It's
1: uh, Film viewing Is It's a tricky business
0: Yep Yep There's always things I forget to Factor in You know like, I just sort of forgot that it was a
1: very a big, young adult novel. of I, I just completely forgot about that. Yeah. Until I started seeing, you know, the advertisement for it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Damn it. But I did hear one exchange from that movie, which just made me laugh my ass off.
0: It doesn't look good to me, but whatever. It's, it's not for me. So next week we have How to Train Your Dragon 2. This is going to be a big daddy. Yeah. Think, what are you thinking on this? I'm
1: thinking like a 90.
0: I'm going to say 93 on that. We're talking Willow Creek levels here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that's terrible that you can say that now.
0: Yeah. Well, We also have 22 Jump Street. This has also been getting extremely good reviews. So people are saying that it's better than the first one.
1: I I really hope so, because I'm dying for a comedy.
0: I'll say 89 and, on that one. I'm going to
1: say, I
0: think I'm going to go 90 again.
1: I think we're going to get quad 90s. It's
0: it's going to be a big week next week. I'm I'm very excited for both of those movies. So I don't know
1: why I say quad
0: 90s. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I just let it go. It's like quad 90s. Well, it must mean something. I'm not sure uh, why.
1: I'm also talking about The
0: Signal. Yeah, that's it. That's uh so in limited release next week we have Witching and Bitching. Yep, that's the other 90. I'm pretty excited to see that actually. It looks kind of interesting.
1: I have no idea what this is.
0: I think it's a, a Spanish uh horror comedy. Oh. It played at uh it played at some it played at a festival. I don't know if it was Fantastic Fest or one of those. Uh the the Signal, which I was actually I tried to see that at Sundance, but it schedule didn't work out, but I'm interested in that. The Rover, extremely interested yeah. in that. I can't wait to see uh, that.
1: I know. I can't wait a year and a half. Check that one out. It's be <laughs> awesome.
0: Uh Hellion. And that comes out on video on demand. So you will be able to see Cat Chandler's Hellion.
1: I am looking forward to that one too.
0: I don't think you're gonna like it. Oh, I don't really? think you're gonna like it. You're gonna you're gonna you're yeah. gonna see it and it's gonna be another one of those uh Malick-esque uh, rural Movies which I love But I think you're getting tired of them I
1: know I don't mind I just the part that I don't like About it is the poetic Mumblings
0: oh no that's Not in this so there you go No I'm but already... it, it, it does get It does get kind of uh, Like sentimental towards the end It gets very uh, Hollywood towards the end I, w- I want to say Okay. But it That didn't bring it down for me though So I, I still recommend it uh, Also in limited release we have All Cheerleaders Die The Lucky McKee movie which is another one that's getting Really good reviews that I do not Understand why sure. And Lullaby, don't have any interest In that, it's with Garrett Hedlund Amy Adams And Amy Adams, yeah eh, I don't know, that comes out on Video On Demand too So Video On Demand releases we have Witching and Bitching, Hellion and Lullaby
1: I do like the poster for Lullaby. That it's just pictures one? of the,
0: the pictures of all the people that are in it, just to be like, "Hey, look how many people we got oh, to
1: be in this." I, was gonna,
0: I thought you were being serious because that's why I asked which one. Because the one I saw was pretty stupid looking. Like,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh... It's just pictures of all the people
1: that are in it, just to say like, "Hey, we got this many people to be in our movie.
0: Hey, look at us. Look at us. <laughs> you you should like it." If you have any other video on demand releases, be sure to submit them to us on the website. The video on demand calendar is growing, and it's becoming a success. So, it's great. It's
1: it's grown a bit too much. I know. It's Which is huge. It's not. It's not your fault. It's just stop making indie films, people. There, there's Quit when you look it. at just June's list. Dude, it's just huge.
0: And I started getting. Uh, submissions for July. And th- so that's starting to grow too. But man, June. Woo. woof. Anyway, DVD oh, and Blu-ray. Boy. We got alpha Papa, Alan Partridge, alpha Papa. I think in the U S it's just called Alan Partridge. Uh, Devil's not, which is the one with Colin Firth about West Memphis three. Oh boy. Cause we can't get enough of that. That's, that's right. the, 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 uh, Adam, how do you say his last name? Egoian or something?
1: Also I know is that his movies bore the shit out of me.
0: Well he had uh Just, something look, can, right?
1: I, I hate the look of him.
0: No. Devil's Knot is apparently not good at all. So Oh Yeah, we have
1: Yeah well his newest the one that you're talking about is the Captive.
0: The Captive. Oh the and Cap that one new. yeah, that's the one with Ryan Reynolds, right? Yes. And yes. that got that got uh booed to shit at Can. Yeah. And then we have Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. Oh boy! I was in Sundance when that came out Funny story about that Uh, My girlfriend went to Sundance This year with me And she was supposed to go see A movie, I can't remember what movie But she couldn't get tickets And she ended up going to see Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit (laughs) In in Park City, Utah (laughs) It's like While Sundance is going on It was funny because I got out of whatever screening I was in, I gave her a call And I was like, oh, how was your movie? And she's like, oh, it's fine. I'm, I saw Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. And I was like, okay. wait a minute.
1: Another in a long line of generic white male-led actioners. Yeah, I saw that's the... Like, tra- that's all I see is just generic white guy action movie.
0: Yeah, I saw the trailer for the new um, Pierce Brosnan action movie called The November Band. And I was like, wow, this is pretty... This is like the definition of generic actioner. Uh Good Lord. I think the, the new trailer for Liam Neeson's next one came out, too.
1: No, it's just, it, it's like they keep asking every couple months. It's like, you want to see a white guy in an action movie?
0: <laughs> hey, hey, boy, <laughs> do I. Let's make it like those Bourne movies. Let's make it like those Bourne movies, because they were really successful. Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's make it like Taken.
1: Make an American version of James Bond, but without any charisma whatsoever.
0: <laughs> Just some white knuckle action. Uh, we also have non-stop speaking of which. <laughs> uh, that one was pretty generic. Omar, uh, Tim's Vermeer, as we said, and Visitors. Visitors? Visitors. That
1: sounds familiar.
0: Yeah, that's... uh. What is it? I think it's a doc.
1: Humanity's trance-like relationship with technology.
0: Oh, technology doc. <laughs> Big surprise. Oh, boy. Any any criterions?
1: Oh, we have two criterions. We have Douglas Sirk's All That Heaven, Heaven Allows from 1955, which this is like, you know, American classic. Still haven't seen, so just add that list to the movies that Kevin needs to fucking watch. Great. Mm. The list <laughs> is long enough already. And... Uh, Michelangelo Antonioni film from 1962, *The Cleese. So, which I can't remember if I've seen that one or not. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of his like uh, his trilogy. It's like I don't even know what the hell the trilogy is about. Like modern alienation or whatever. I think I did see this. Yes, I did.
0: That's how much of a lasting impact it had on me. Hmm. Well, there you have it. I think that that will wrap it up be sure to send us your questions to podcastfilmpulse.net. we'll be sure to answer them on the show follow us on twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin that's right Kevin is on twitter now
1: that's a terrible idea
0: <laughs> so make sure to follow him and tweet at him and all that stuff I can yeah. instantly regret like almost every decision I made.
1: do you have that problem?
0: Uh, yeah quite a bit quite a bit quite a bit, quite a bit. And be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. for FilmPulse.net. My name's Adam. All right. Kevin. And we'll see you on Thursday for Ryan Watches a Movie. Bigfoot is the
2: name. You can ride from Canada to Northern California. All up and down the Cascade Range. But if you go alone, friend, I'm here to warn you. Look out for
0: the thing where the big... What the... Poker <laughs> jada.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Nori. <laughs> Nori be the jada. Nori be the. Nori be